This hour of the Bill Meyer Show podcast is made possible by Clouser Drilling. Clouser Drilling is proud to sponsor the show. We appreciate them, too. If you need to drill for water, be sure to call Clouser Drilling. They've been leading the way in Southern Oregon well drilling for over 50 years. ClouserDrilling.com. More with Bill Meyer. 12 minutes after 6, it is Conspiracy Theory Thursday. Join the conversation at 770-5633-770-KMED. The email, Bill, at BillMeyerShow.com. The Facebook.com slash Bill Meyer Show page is up there. We appreciate you listening. And uh, by the way, if you are streaming and you're saying, hey, the Bicoastal Media app or the KMED, KCMD app doesn't work any longer. Yeah, they're not being updated because uh, it's been replaced by the website. Just stream directly from KMED.com. And it's real simple to uh, to do that with your Apple or Android device. I hope that ends up uh, helping out uh, some or any kind of confusion, uh, which is going on this morning. We're going to be talking a lot today about uh, presidential politics and election politics and uh, and some national issues on Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And Professor Rob Nadelson has been writing a series of articles in the Epic Times. And it's been a couple of years since I've had Rob on. Rob's a good guy. And I, I called him up the other, guy, uh, the other day after reading his article in Epic Times. And it has to do with about uh, this uh, attack on Texas. You know, Texas, of course, being invaded from the South by... Uh, Thousands upon thousands of illegal aliens every day, hundreds of thousands, uh, if not millions per year. And the federal government, of course, uh, says, well, we're not going to do anything about this. And uh, and on the other hand, Texas, you can't do anything about this either. And I just uh, do a plain reading of the Constitution when the Constitution says that uh, the federal government's supposed to guarantee a Republican form of government as in a republic and it's supposed to faithfully enforce laws and all the rest of it, that does not mean that uh, you are supposed to be allowed to, well, you know, if the feds won't do it, then you can't stop yourself. You must uh, allow the invasion and a criminal element just to uh, to come into your into your state, into your area. I don't, you know, we're just talking about real life. Oh, we're really sorry. The police, uh, the police aren't going to show up. Oh, by the way, you're not allowed to stop the robbers either. They would be kind of like the equivalent if all of a sudden uh, Medford police or Grants Pass police or Jackson and Josephine County Sheriff's, Ashland police, whatever, uh, police department said, uh, nah, sorry, you know, we just don't really feel like uh, like showing up because, uh, well, you know, after all, we, we actually kind of like the, the criminals instead, and you can't do anything about it. That's essentially what the federal government's doing with Texas. Now, Texas does have some different admission acts and has uh, quite a bit more power than many of the other states. In other words, Texas was smarter about it when they came into the uh, cabal known as the United States of America. (laughs) And I'm talking about it because I I refer to it that way because I think post-Civil War, you know, essentially uh, Lincoln freed the slaves, but uh, in my opinion— ended up uh, enslaving the country with uh, the way things have gone then you know up to that point of the uh, of the war between the states the you know, people joined the uh, united states knowing full well that you could leave well really what happened after the civil war is that no you can't leave you can't leave it's uh, you have joined the mafia you joined the mafia and then uh, if you try to leave we kill you because remember, when they talk about a civil war, and by the way, I'm not some Southern sympathizer. I just want to understand, just realistically, there were, dozens, there were many, many secession movements. There were northern states that were trying to secede and, uh, and many times uh, leading up to between the war of the states. And no one said, hey, you're trying to leave. We're going to send the military after you. That's not what, it's all, that's not what it was all about. It was well known you could leave. You volunteered to join, and then, you know, the marriage isn't doing well, and you can divorce. But we've been uh, bred and grown up within our government school systems, uh, you know, the inculcating of uh, St. Abraham and that, uh, well, he did everything he could to preserve the union. It wasn't his job as president to preserve the union. His job as president was to execute the laws and be a good president. We don't want to talk about that, though, do we? We don't like that. Well... Texas realized what was going on, and they reserved a lot more power for themselves in their admission documents. In fact, they even have the right, I believe, 
to break up. I think it was Rick Manning that was talking about that they could break up into five separate states if they wanted to. Boy, wouldn't that be interesting? You know, uh, <laughs> eight more senators, uh, maybe a bit more conservative than the uh, ones that are there right now. Boy, that could be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? But still, we'll talk with uh, Professor Nadelson about this, you know, back to it. And uh, he's writing a series of articles in Epic Times right now that uh, is talking about how Texas could win this, could actually win this and defend themselves. And maybe if you have uh, one state, one big state that's able to do it, maybe others can follow in. Maybe it's really going to get to the point where the other states are just going to say, gee, we don't care if we don't technically uh, uh, have uh, Texas's uh, power. We're just going to join with them. Like Arizona, as an example, is uh, another one of those. It's uh, interesting that you have states like Oregon and California in Washington that call themselves sanctuary states for illegal immigrants. In other words, uh, criminals, criminal aliens that are, you know, just entering your state. And the federal government doesn't doesn't care about that because, you know, the Prague globalists are, are more or less in charge. But to try to do something about it, and then you're in trouble? Yeah, yeah, that's um, a big deal. So anyway, Professor Nadelson will join me here in the uh, next few minutes, and we'll uh, we'll have a pretty good conversation about that. Uh, join in at 770-563-3770-KBD. By the way, someone was trying to call me just a moment ago, and it hangs up. The automatic system will hang up that uh, if you do not have your caller ID turned on, or it's turned off, it hangs up. It's uh, it's about a prevention of trolls, okay? Because otherwise, you know, anybody gets through and anybody can just kind of, uh, you know, be a jerk about that. So that's what that's all about. Turn on your caller ID, and then uh, you can check in, okay? 18 minutes after 6. Another uh, story we're going to be uh, talking about here, uh, Drew, what's his name here? Let me just uh, get his name. I've never had the uh, the opportunity to talk with him. Uh, but the other aspect of uh, national uh, politics, Drew Allen is the author of America's Last Stand. Will you vote to save or destroy America in 2024? And so we'll talk with him about that after the uh, 7.30 news. Uh, Gregory Ridestone's going to be uh, rescheduled for another time. I had, He had a little medical uh, situation around, so I have uh, Drew coming on instead. And Dan McMillan is going to be joining me, Dr. Dan McMillan, and he's the founder of Save Democracy in America. He's delved into the connection between campaign finance and the persistence of elderly candidates. In other words, why is it that we have this gerontocracy? in which everybody has to be, uh, you know, 80 or so to be president and or a multimillionaire. And he's got to have an interesting take on it. I, I'd like to talk to him about that. All right. So we got a lot going on. And we also have this uh, this Medicare fraud story. I want to talk a little bit about that uh, this morning, too. 770 I'll tell you more about that coming up. This is The Bill Meyer Show. Oregon Truck and Auto Authority is your Linex bedliner source. Linex is the number one rated spray-on bedliner in the world, backed with a nationwide lifetime warranty. Don't just protect it, Linex it. Oregon Truck and Auto Authority, your one-stop accessory and protection shop. The popularity of Fontana Roofing's Metal Division cannot be overstated. Well, at least it's exciting for those who get geeked by seeing metal being bent. Okay, we'll see you soon. We've got another contractor who wants a tour of the metal shop. How can you blame them? We're cranking out so much magical stuff, they want to peek behind the curtain. The trick is to take it slow. There's a lot to take in, and you don't want to overwhelm them. Yeah, they're like kids at the carnival. Ooh, check out the gutter machine. Wow, look at all the colors and gauges they have in inventory. There's so many profiles for roofing and siding. Holy cow, look at that order of foundational flashing loaded on the trailer. Whew. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the grand finale. Fontana's Mobile Metal Fabricator. Ta-da! Fontana Roofing is now providing guided tours of their metal shop. Please make reservations early. Bringing a sack lunch is recommended. For more information, visit FontanaRoofingServices.com. When you use bounce dryer sheets and your clothes look amazing, it's the sheet. Less static in your life? Yeah, it's the sheet. Smelling fresher than ever? It's the sheet. Oh, so soft fabric. Ooh la la. It's the sheet. Less wrinkles on your clothes. You know it's the sheet. Bounce dryer sheets. More freshness, more softness. Less static, less wrinkles. It's the sheet. 
Getting your guaranteed maximum refund with TaxLayer feels like... Saddling up and chasing down... Look at that sweet fula! That big old cash cow. File for free with TaxLayer Simply Free and get your guaranteed maximum refund. TaxLayer. File fearlessly. Hi, I'm Mark with Oregon Truck and Auto Authority, and I'm on 106.7 KMED. A gentleman who emailed me last night. It had to do with this um, this latest Asante <laughs> scandal. I mean, Asante uh, seems to be uh, having its problems as of late. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, and he doesn't want me using his name. So I said, okay, good morning, Bill. We have a couple of surgeons that uh, either were and overcharging the insurance companies. One of them was doing unnecessary surgeries and still there. Great for their resume and pocketbook. I think I was a victim of a couple of those. Nothing new under the sun. Human beings are the worst things that creep upon this earth. Well, I'm not a, a fan of that point of view, uh, no namer. Um... You know, I, I guess the only thing is that uh, only humans have the capability of self-loathing, I guess. I mean, everything else just does what it does, right? You know, um, there are people that uh, creep this earth that are saints, as far as I'm concerned, and uh, and doing God's worth, uh, work, rather. And then there are other people that are definitely some of the worst things that creep on the earth. We're, we're all individuals. We have to uh, meet one another where we are. But uh, this uh, does uh, have to do with what's uh, going on over at Asante. Another one. I mean, the first you had the drug uh, scandal with the nurse being accused of stealing fentanyl and then injecting tap water into the bags. Right? We know about that, and we still don't have uh, more information on that. But now we're finding out. And this was a story that was uh, broken in the Lund report yesterday. Asante settled Medicare fraud allegations at Medford Hospital. The Medford Hospital, I'll just read a little bit if you don't mind. Medford Hospital, now at the center of a local police investigation, recently resolved a lengthy federal probe into a whistleblower lawsuit claiming fraudulent bid, uh, billing. Weeks before cops launched an investigation into the alleged drug diversion and potentially related patient deaths at uh, Asante Rogue Medical Center, hospital management quietly settled litigation stemming from a federal Medicare fraud probe. The probe, which has not been previously reported, was seemingly unrelated to the new investigation based on a whistleblower lawsuit filed by one of the hospital's own doctors that accused management at the Medford Hospital of ignoring billing fraud. Instead, the suit claimed management targeted the doctor who reported it. Oh, surprise, surprise. I bet that shocks you, right? According to the lawsuit, FBI investigates the allegations. Court records showed after investigating, the federal government joined the whistleblower's suit to recoup funds. U.S. District Judge Michael McShane in October approved a settlement that Asante and the doctor accused of overbilling, Dr. Charles uh, Carmesi, collectively agreed to. The judge's order approved the settlement, partially unsealing documents in the case. Court records did not detail any dollar amounts in the settlement, and the U.S. Attorney's Office has not yet responded to requests for information. Formal requests from the Lund Report under Freedom of Information Act is pending. In the suit, Dr. Nicholas Engstrom, a cardiothoracic surgeon who works at Asante Rogue Regional Medical Center in Medford, claimed his then-co-worker, Carmesi, Build government health programs for procedures he didn't do and performed unnecessary procedures to boost his compensation. No criminal charges have resulted from the claims and the federal investigation. That's the spark. That's the part that just astounds me. Does it astound you as much as it astounds me? There we have apparently. You know, a surgeon engaging in fraud, overbilling, doing unnecessary stuff. What? Do we have different classes of people around here, just kind of like how the nurse has not yet been arrested? They were not hearing about anything about the nurse being arrested for stealing the drugs? What's going on here in this country? 
Is it that hard to get a, a thoracic surgeon? I don't know. Maybe it is. Contacted about the lawsuit, a, a spokesperson for Asante, Lauren Van Sickle, wrote in an email that health system leadership will not be commenting. And these allegations date back to 2015. So obviously the feds clawed back some money, some undisclosed. Of course, I'm also tired of these, uh, well, we can't disclose this. It's uh, it's a you know, secret settlement. As far as I'm concerned, if you've got chiselers, you know, operating in your hospital that are, that are uh, uh, doing, engaging in fraudulent, we're not talking about making a mistake, but you're engaging in fraudulent billing. Criminal charges. You know, the rest of we little people who aren't surgeons or aren't nurses, perhaps, usually when we do things and we steal from people, we get arrested. I guess if you have uh, enough lawyers and you're in, the, in one of the major healthcare systems, then you get a chance to, uh, well, you just settle it and, you know, you pay the feds off and you make it go away. At least that's what I think. Maybe you feel differently about that. but So that's um, leaving me with a little bit of indigestion, the idea that you have a fraud probe, the fraud ends up being true, and then still working, still on the staff. Isn't that great? <sighs> no criminal charges. Well, it's just a mistake. Well, you know, the, uh, the, the, the fraud, the Medicare fraud, that's just, you know, it's just an accident. Just an accident, I guess. Somebody else must have just made, you know, the Medicare people just made me do it. I don't know. <laughs> 28 after 6. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday. Hi, KMD, KCMD. Who's this? Welcome. You've been holding on a hey. little bit. Hey, good morning, uh, Bill. This is Sherm. Hey, Sherm. How you doing? Let me, tell you, let me tell you a little story about what I did yesterday. I went to the Jackson County Courthouse. I was downtown on business and had some time. I wanted to stop by and see how the courts were doing. So I walked in the place, not many people, wander all over the building, very few people. And so I was trying to find something going on in one of the courtrooms. So I finally found one where they were having some arraignment for traffic crimes, etc. Mm-hmm. I go in, very few people. I take a seat and watch the arraignments, which I've done in my career, taking students to courthouses, clear from Seattle, Douglas County, Josephine County, etc. Uh, okay. Yeah, I've done all that. Okay. And so I sit there and watch the arraignment. At the end of the arraignment, when everybody's gone, arraignments, um, the judge asked me, uh, are you here for a business or do you have a purpose? And I said, I'm here just observing. I'm a CTE business teacher. So I explained that part. And she looked up and she said, after everybody's gone, she said, well, it's open to anybody in the public if they want to come in. Obviously, no one else was there. Right. The point was simple. It wasn't, I'm accustomed to a judge saying, well, welcome, Sherm. Glad to have you here. I'm glad someone in the public is here to observe and notice and take note of what we're doing here in our business. Were you surprised? No- were you surprised by the judge's uh, statement? Did that it sounds like oh. that surprised you somewhat. Oh, absolutely. As an educator, I'm normally welcomed, and they encourage me to be there and to share what's going on in the courts. Absolutely. But here we've got all this crime in the valley, and the courthouse is empty. I want to know what's going on. Why are there not more? Why aren't they busy? Come on. <laughs> Could it be that uh, it was sort of a, uh, a stormy day, a lot of weather things going on? Maybe there were uh, maybe some things were, were canceled. I don't know. I'm just, uh, you know, tossing that out as a possibility. There's always an excuse, isn't there? There's something well, no, I'm not giving an excuse. I mean, sense. things get canceled sometimes due to weather. I'm not giving an excuse. I'm just... Saying, no, okay, is there a possibility? Okay. Is there a possibility that they just weren't scheduling a lot of trials that day? I guess we'd have to look at climates where the weather's not so good. You could take Seattle for example; uh-huh. they still run business. Okay, right. There, if there's a backlog, there's a backlog. There's something strange. Maybe I'll have to go down there once in a while and monitor because we need to watch our courts. I encourage my students. That's what I did as an educator. I, I encourage them to go in and observe what's going on in the courts periodically. Keep track of what our justice system is doing. Okay. Hey, I, I appreciate but the judge's response did surprise me. I would have thought, you know, she would encourage people to come in and observe. But it was almost about, oh, well, I guess you're allowed to be here, right? That's exactly what she said. Uh-huh. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
Well, you know what happens? A lot of the judges, they do always kind of get high and mighty about it. This is my courtroom, right? How many times have you heard that? Hey, you be, hey, this is my courtroom. And I'm thinking to myself, no, it's actually the people's courtroom, but I digress. Okay. And we have an obligation to be there. Mm-hmm. Appreciate the call. Okay, you're welcome. <laughs> All right. Stay on it, sir. Hi, KMED, KCMD. Good morning. Hey, it's deplorable Patrick. Bill, good morning, and uh, great program as usual. Thank I'm, you. I'm kind of curious, and my, my feelings are exactly the same as yours, I think, about these doctors. They should not be given special treatment. Well, it, it does seem odd that you have a whistleblower that blows the whistle about a, a fellow doctor at Asante committing Medicare fraud. And and so they do this settlement and they say no criminal charges were filed. And so I'm guessing, what does it, what do you have to do then to actually be a criminal when it comes to making yeah, fraud and engaging in fraud? I don't know. You, you, can't, you have to not be a doctor and then you can be... Then he could be arrested. But my question is this. Uh, is he making restitution? I don't know. I, I think most of the details of the settlement, of course, are, are secret. People like you and me are not allowed to know, I guess. This is hitting a little closer every day because I was at a, a patient at Asante in January, but I have also seen Dr. Carmisi. So I'm um, just getting more of my, my attention. But I, I should think they would at least... Say, well, if you want this to go away, you better start making restitution. See how he wiggles. And for all we know, maybe there is restitution. But the thing is, even if you have restitution, it, you know, if you're paying restitution and the the other doctor had accused them of engaging in fraud. And, you know, fraud's pretty big deal. You know, that's not yes. uh, it's not just a minor uh, financial crime, especially when you're, uh, you know, uh, engaging in Medicare fraud. People go to jail for that all the time when you when you look at other people. And I, I'm just kind of curious what made this different. And maybe there are extenuating circumstances. I don't know. Or it could be perhaps the, maybe the particular uh, doctor involved is, uh, is just considered uh, too, big to, you know, too big to fail. I guess. Maybe it's one of those kind of things. So much of that happens in the United States these days. Uh, you know, the, uh, the biggest fraudsters of all, you know, well, we really can't do anything about the big banks as an example because the system would collapse. Maybe that's what they're talking about here, uh, Patrick. I don't know. All right. We've got all all these people we put up on pedestals, you know, movie stars and rich people and uh, and doctors. I've always looked at doctors with one eyebrow raised. They definitely need scrutiny. So that's my question anyway. Let's see if we can find out. All right. Appreciate the call. Thank you for that. Deplorable Patrick. Rob Nadelson is going to join me. Constitution. Oh, I'm still going to call him Professor professor here in just a moment he's standing by we're going to talk with him about an excellent series of articles he's been writing in epic times about uh, the uh, texas the texas situation does texas have a duty to just uh, be invaded by criminals because the federal government more or less saying uh, we're not enforcing the border security but on the other hand you're not allowed to either and texas says uh, hold my beer apparently we'll talk about that coming up News sponsored by Caveman Heating and Air. It's the climate and we control it. Call Caveman Heating and Air at 541-476-0009 or cavemanheating.com. Good morning. I'm Molly Smith with your NBC5 morning news update. With all the winter weather hitting our region, Mount Shasta Ski Park was finally able to open Wednesday with plenty of skiers and snowboarders showing up to take on the storm. To stay in the know on the mountain's conditions, text MSSP updates to 844 844- Five nine six seven two seven five. Mount Ashland also officially opens today, and don't forget, it's day onesie. Those hitting the slopes are invited to don their best onesie to get in on some prizes. And Warner Canyon Ski Area in Lake County also hoping to open soon. The ski area says the goal is to open this weekend, but the recent storm hasn't brought enough snow. So keep an eye on their Facebook page for updates throughout the week. And several schools and districts will have snow days today. Ashland School District has announced that they will be closed due to hazardous weather conditions. And Butte Falls Charter School said they will see a two-hour delay this morning. And the Brit Festival is welcoming two guest conductors for its 2024 orchestra season. Following Teddy Abrams' departure, the Brit Festival Orchestra will be joined by Peter Bay and Alexandra Arieche. This summer, they will split responsibilities for the orchestra's 62nd season. Bay, who was the Brit Orchestra's music director from 1993 to 2012, 
will lead the orchestra for performances from June 13th to the 21st. Arieche is a newcomer to the Brit stage and will conduct the other half of the June performances. And that's a look at your morning headlines. For NBC5 News, I'm Molly Smith. Mm, good. Artisan Bakery Cafe new owners McKay and Jamie and their two sons invite you to come enjoy unique European-style pastries made fresh daily in South Medford for over 18 years. Bake goods the way they ought to be. Delicious and out-of-this-world satisfying. One memorable bite after another will leave you wanting more. From cupcakes to almond bear claws, rich butter horns, fruit-filled scones, cupcakes, beignets, and more. 1325 Center drive next to South Fred Meyer, 245-3500. Hi there, it's Jeff with Quality Tree Service. As we look forward to spring, now is the time we offer our best rates of the year. Winter is also a great time to prune your trees because they're dormant and waiting to wake up and grow in a healthy way. So give us a call and get a no-obligation quote. I think you'll be impressed with how affordable it is to get your trees shaped up for spring. Quality Tree Service offers senior and military discounts too. Find us at qualitytreeservicemedford.com. Stewardship. That means taking great care of the people and the things we've been entrusted with. Hi, this is Lisa from Kelly's Automotive Service in Grants Pass in Medford. Being good stewards is a value at the core of our business. Every interaction, every transaction is another opportunity to do the right thing. If you're looking for a new shop to bring your vehicle, or maybe you're a technician who wants to be part of something bigger, we'd love to meet you. You can find us on the web at kellysautomotive.com or Kelly's Automotive Service, where we service your vehicle but take care of you. The Bill Myers Show, 106.3 KMED, 99.3 KCMD. 638, Professor Rob Nadelson is a former constitutional law professor. And as far as I'm concerned, still a professor. Even if he's a professor in name only, I don't know. But anyway, he's a senior fellow in constitutional jurisprudence. In other words, a huge legal brain at the Independence Institute in Denver, and he also wrote a couple of books here, too, the original Constitution, what it actually said and meant. That was about uh, seven, eight years ago. Also contributed to another excellent book, the Heritage Foundation's Heritage Guide to the Constitution, which I have over on my file cabinet just across the uh, uh, the room here in the studio. And Rob, it's great to have you back on the program. It's been way too long. I think the last time I talked to you was maybe two, three years back about uh, some constitutional jurisprudence. But it's wonderful to have you back on. Good morning, sir. It's wonderful to be back on. And by the way, that Heritage Guide you're referring to is going into a third edition. I only contributed one little article to the second edition, but this time they loaded me up with seven. So <laughs> I've got a lot of work to do. Okay, glad to know that. Well, yeah. I really get um, frustrated sometimes about uh, the const- about Constitution and jurisprudence in the first place, Rob, and maybe you could talk me down, because the older I get, the more I have to recover from my uh, my government school education about about the Constitution, and I realize that the Constitution, uh, as it's uh, currently practiced, doesn't seem to really be what the Constitution says. It's more about what the Supreme Court has said about the Constitution. Is that a correct interpretation of it when it really comes down to it? Not entirely. The Supreme Court actually follows the Constitution in most areas. There are some critical areas, though, where they do not, uh, or they've gotten confused. And one of those is in the area of immigration. I mean, um, there seems to be an attitude in the courts, and I think this is more the product of mistake than malice that uh, only the federal government can deal with immigration. The states cannot deal with immigration. Only the federal government can have, a, can have anything to do with foreign policy or foreign trade, and the states cannot. And that's simply wrong. And, and <laughs> you can see it's wrong by reading the text of the Constitution itself. The, in the case of invasion, the states are permitted to respond by fighting a defensive war. They're also permitted to regulate immigration, subject to overriding uh, federal law, and they're permitted to regulate commerce, subject to overriding federal law. So the states have a lot more authority than uh, a lot of people assume, including, unfortunately, some of the judges. Hmm. And when you talk about uh, even the uh, regulating uh, trade, regulating commerce within the state, uh, the real prohibition, though, is that you don't uh, put tariffs on your uh, fellow states, right? That's that's really what I think it meant when, uh, hey, we're going to make... Uh, uh, 
the Commerce Clause, we're going to make uh, commerce regular between the states. It wasn't about the states warring against each other. Was that is that pretty much? Uh... That, that's a large part of it. I think that that I think the Commerce Clause did give the federal government more power than that. A good example is the federal government has under the Commerce Clause power over navigable rivers. Mm-hmm. So when Texas decided to to put a barrier across the Rio Grande, the feds jumped in and said, "Hey, no, that's our prerogative," and and the feds are probably right about that. On the other hand, the attitude that the, that, the, that the states can't do anything, and if the federal government sits back and allows an invasion to, to go ahead, that the states are harmless, that, that's simply wrong. And by the way, Bill, um, as you picked up on, this is an invasion of the southern border. One thing that my, my co-author and I did is we looked back at how the founders and the people of their generation used the word invade, invasion and mass unauthorized immigration across the sovereign border is invasion. No ifs, ands, and buts. And it triggers uh, the certain war powers uh, that the states can exercise in order to stem that invasion. All right. Texas uh, came into the Union with uh, a bit more power, wouldn't you say, than uh, many of the other states, the uh, uh, you know, the agreements that were made at that point, the admission documents, uh, certainly uh, give Texas a little more power than, let's say, uh, Oregon, although Oregon has a better deal than many other states, too. Uh, would you agree on that? And do you think Texas is uniquely poised to perhaps win this federal battle against the current situation, which is like, ah, federal government, we're not going to defend the border. On the other hand, you can't do anything about it either, and you just have to take it good and hard, Texas, and all the rest of you states, too, while you're at yeah, it. Yeah, well, that's where the federal government is wrong. I mean, if the federal government doesn't act on a subject, uh, the state certainly has the, power, has the power to do so, and that includes immigration. And as I said, many of the courts don't understand that. Texas was, as you say, an independent country before it joined the Union. But then again, so were some other states. Hawaii, for example. Mm -hmm. Even Vermont was independent when it joined the Union. So while Texas is in a pretty strong position, a lot of other states are too. But you don't even have to resort to that. All you have to do is look at the text of the Constitution. You know, there it is for for wonks. It happens to be Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3. And it says when a state may may, may engage in defensive war. And that is when it's been invaded or when there's such danger of invasion as shall not admit of delay. Um, And so that triggers a whole lot of powers that Texas and other states like Arizona, New Mexico, and California, if it chooses to to, to use them, powers that they have. They they can raise armies. They can conscript troops. It doesn't have to be part of the militia. They They could actually, and I'm not saying they necessarily would want to do this, they could actually make forays into Mexico to go after the cartels and, and the other people organizing the invasion. That is really interesting. And, and you know, they're making it sound as if uh, as if the Biden administration doesn't do it. You just have to lay down. That's kind of the way it's portrayed right now. I'm kind of curious. Why do you think that uh, that states have been uh, taking kind of this uh, lay down or this uh, whipped dog kind of uh, position when it comes that's to invasions? A great, that's a great answer, Bill. A great question, Bill. And It's actually a question that applies to several parts of the Constitution. Largely, people tend to forget what the Constitution means. And I'll tell you, in an area like immigration, uh, you know, most people who who write on the Constitution are law professors, and law professors tend to be overwhelmingly left of center. They're not interested in in stemming the flow of immigration. In fact, some of them take the position that even the federal government can't regulate immigration, which is historical and legal nonsense, but they take that position. Mm. So, so as a result, what my co-author and I discussed, by, by the way, my co-author is a Massachusetts scholar named Andrew Hyman. What he and I discovered was that um, there's almost no, no writing, authoritative writing on this subject, and the writing that does exist comes from people who don't know historical methods. They don't know anything about the founding. They don't really understand how the, Consti- how the Constitution was interpreted among the founders. And so you've got this mass confusion. And so that's why I wrote the article. I'm hoping that the authority, that, that the article will get to the authorities in states like, like, like Texas and Arizona, and that they will use it in defending their right to defend their own boundaries.
That's really interesting. And uh, Rob Nadelson once again, and he has a series of articles. Uh, now there's uh, I now I've only read the first one. I have to get into the rest of them. Are all of them in the Epic Times right now? Are all five up at this point? It's a series of articles about how Texas can win in this uh, in illegal immigrant invasion problem. You know that they're dealing with. Yeah, and not just Texas. I mean, Florida, for example, has transported. Uh, migrants to other cities, that is, in fact, part of a state's war power. In other words, you you take somebody, and, and actually you could take somebody somebody captive and move them to another, uh, uh, to a safe location. And that safe location might be some northern Democrat-run cities, although I question how safe some of them are. Um, the answer to your question is, there are five in the series, as you say. Three of them have now been published. I just sent the fourth off over to the editor uh, this morning. All right. To be clear, where you're starting, though, in uh, we're going to start in the beginning in uh, in the first article, and it has to do with what does invasion mean? And clearly That's what right. is happening is that this is an invasion. This is not just something which is happening. And at what point, though, does uh, an administration or a government allowing the invasion of these states to continue, at what point does it become a criminal matter for the government? You know, in other words, in which the, the, the government essentially is behaving in a criminal manner. Is there any, you know, is there any remedy on something like that? What do you think, Professor? Not really. I mean, um, I'm not aware of any criminal law that, that says that the president create, uh, commits a crime when he doesn't, quote, take care that the laws be faithfully executed. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite the contrary. I mean, the, the, the president probably would claim immunity in the same way that former President Trump is now claiming immunity. But it is a horrendous breach of, of trust. I'm not even sure it's impeachable, uh, given my research in the area of impeachment. Really? Now, so, now, see, that's quite interesting, because I would have yeah. thought that of all the things, you know, to have to leave states open to invasion would be an impeachable authority. You would, you would think so. Or but a, several offense. years ago, it was the same thing. People were confused on grounds of impeachment. And uh, they, they, they asked the question, what does the Constitution mean by high misdemeanors? What's a high misdemeanor that, that, that creates an impeachable offense? And what I discovered is that high misdemeanor is a founding era term for certain serious crimes, felonies, basically we would call them today, but that do not do not merit the death penalty. Hmm. Uh, so I question whether even impeachment is a viable remedy. But it's politically impossible anyway, because of course the Senate is controlled uh, by the Democratic Party. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, though. The way well, you, so the way the impeachment well, the way the impeachment power was uh, was was kind of addressed to me is that it's about misbehavior and that you can just about impeach for anything, whether you can convict or I, not, I of course. Think, is I, it? Used, I used to think think that, but the, you did? the research maybe changed my mind. But, that, but this points out why it is so important for state governments to be strong. State governments are an important check in the system. And as you just said, I mean, all too often they kind of lie down and they say, oh, the feds won't do it, so we're not going to act. We see this in a number of different areas. This is an area where state governments have to assert themselves and to give governors like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott of of Texas credit. They are asserting themselves, but they're not always sure what their legal rights are, and that's, of course, why I wrote this article. And you're hoping to influence these, these state leaders then? I'm hoping to influence the state leaders. I'm also hoping, and maybe even more so, to influence their constituents. And have their constituents say, you know, Governor, we're under an invasion. Do your duty. Yeah, exactly. If it, if it, it takes if it takes raising military forces and actually responding militarily, uh, and by the way, this doesn't mean bombing Mexican cities or anything like that, but if it does require defensive war, uh, then you have to engage it because the feds are not doing it. There was a story the other day, Rob, that uh, indicate that uh, Mexico, when the, the Biden administration was uh, involved in Mexico in negotiations about, well, we'll uh, see if we can help you 
on uh, on the border. But we have a list of demands, right, <laughs> before we're willing to help you on the border. And there was a part of me that just uh, had the bile rise in the back of my throat saying, oh, I'll tell you what, uh, we promise not to bomb Guadalajara or something like that <laughs> and, or, or yeah. Acapulco. And and then, well, will that sharpen your mind? You, you get that way at some point, kind of the... Uh, you know, the arrogance is if we're just supposed to take it because, well, I guess we've well, been it, taking it. it you it's know? a demonstration of the weakness of the Biden administration. They are Mexico is obligated under, under, under international law to prevent its own nationals from going across another sovereign's border. I mean, that's just part of international law. And, um, and But what they do is instead of honoring their obligation, uh, they, they demand uh, money from the United States. Now, there is another aspect to this. 30 to 35 percent of Mexico is not under the control of the Mexican government. It's under the control of criminal gangs, mm-hmm. uh, the, the cartels. These are groups that the founders would have referred to as, this is their phrase, enemies of the human race, like pirates. Yeah. And, um, and, and because one of, the, one of the facts that gives Texas a right, for example, to launch a preemptive attack across the border uh, or, or a foray across the border is simply because Mexico is not controlling that territory. If Mexico were controlling the territory and honoring its obligation under international law, this wouldn't be necessary. I wanted to go back to why states have, well, are acting like whipped puppies when it comes to interaction with the federal government. What role do you think grant stream funding from the federal government has played in encouraging that kind of whipped dog behavior? I think it's encouraged huge. Uh, it's a huge encourager of that kind of behavior. Uh, this dates back to the New Deal Supreme Court, where the New Deal Supreme Court said that basically in 1936, 1937, the federal government can spend anything it wants so long as the federal government thinks it's for the general welfare. That's not a correct interpretation of the Constitution, and it led to the results that some people predicted which was the states began to be dependencies of the federal government. Fortunately, states like Texas, Florida, Arizona, they're rich enough and prosperous enough to do without the federal money. And the Supreme Court has said that the feds can't punish the states by withholding all federal money in any case. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can only do it in a very narrow, targeted way. So um, I... I've observed state governments closely, and I, I think they do overreact to the threat of the withdrawal of federal money. The, the, the fact is uh, <laughs> the feds want to keep that money flowing. They're unlikely to withdraw it. And if you look at the evidence, you see that federal funds aren't very good for the states anyway. What role do you think that uh, – I'm just uh, forgetting off the top of my head the amendment, which uh – led to the direct election of senators. Which amendment was that, uh, Professor? That's the 17th. 17th, thank you. I used to think that was a, an important, played an important role, but again, one of the things about research is it forces you sometimes to change your mind. There doesn't seem to be much of a difference in how senators voted on issues of states' rights and federalism, whether before or after the 17th Amendment. Really? Also, the real damage to the federal system didn't occur until about uh, 20 years after the, the 17th Amendment was adopted. So I don't think that that's a big role. I think a bigger role is the one you identified a minute ago, and that is all these federal dollars flowing into the, flowing into, uh, the states uh, that, that, that state legislatures then use to, you know, to feather their own nest. All right in which it appears that uh, they'll do absolutely anything possible. They'll say whatever it takes, do whatever it takes, because it's always about the money. <laughs> no well, yeah, Bill, Bill but I, I, here's, here's what I think it really is. Politicians always look for an excuse to do nothing, okay? Mm-hmm. We've seen this over and over. They'll look for an excuse to do nothing. And they may not really investigate whether they're at risk of losing federal dollars, but if, but if they can say to a constituent, hey, look, you know, the feds pay, we, we don't want to lose the federal dollars, that may be just as far as they go. And so it's up to the constituents to say, you know, <laughs> we, we don't care a rat's behind about the federal dollars. 
stop the invasion. That's your first priority. Right. Because constituents need to put the pressure on state lawmakers to do that. All right. I'm so glad you're writing this series or to have written this series. And uh, I guess the fourth one's going to be coming out here pretty soon. Rob Nadelson, and it's in Epic Times. I'm going to link to all of this. It's Understanding the Constitution, How States May Respond to Illegal Immigration. And there's a lot more power there than the federal government would have you would have you believe. Uh, Rob, before you take off, though, uh, earlier on, uh, earlier this morning, I was just uh, kind of expressing my uh, my irritation about um, about the Constitution in one respect in which uh, going back to the Civil War, the war between the states, I think that we've been snowed for a long time. And I'm not uh, saying this as a Southern sympathizer because I'm not. All right. But I know that there have been uh, secessionist movements that uh, were well known before the Civil War. Before the Civil War uh, even occurred, there was uh, it was well known that if you joined the United States of America, it was a voluntary agreement. You agreed to join, which also means you could agree to disjoin. And they always talk about how the Civil War, well, that settled the issue of whether you could leave or not. It's like, well, it, I don't think it was done legally. Wasn't it really just a matter of, well, if you try to leave... Will kill you. What do you think? No, I, I, you're right that there have been uh, other secessionist movements. That people always identify secession with, with slavery, but there was a secessionist movement, for example, uh, in New England uh, during the War of 1812. They didn't like that war, and there was a strong move for five New England states. Uh, Maine was then part of, part of Massachusetts for the five New England states to secede. So it's not just that it wasn't a Southern idea. That having been said, and it's a complicated thing, too long that we to go into now, I don't think there's a right to secede. I, let me also... And, and yet the founders, though, took a right. They were the insurrectionists of their time, seceding That's from Great right. Britain. You know. Well, there's always a rev- right of revolution. Yeah. That's different. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, I want to mention for people who are interested in this series, one week after they appear in the, equal to- in the Epic Times, the, the articles go on to the Independence Institute website, and there you can read it without a paywall. So that's independenceinstitute.org. Okay, very good. I appreciate the talk. Rob, I'm going to have you back, and it's not going to be three years before we next talk, I hope, all right? And I pray that you uh, stay healthy and keep writing this uh, this excellent these excellent articles, okay? Thank you. I, I look forward to being on with you again. Thank you, Rob. Professor Rob Nadelson, it is 6.58 at KMED and KCMD. You're waking up with the Bill Myers Show. When it comes to building materials, tools, and supplies, Hughes Lumber has been helping builders, homeowners, and contractors for over 30 years. Whether you're framing, siding a home, or building a deck, Hughes Lumber delivers everything you need to get the job done right at the best prices. But keeping your mind on your work is up to you. Hughes Lumber on Crater Lake Highway next to Garrison's. Have your taxes gotten off track? Just call Zach, CPA at First Response Resolution. Visit FirstResponseIRS.com today to see what Zach can do for you. First Response Resolution in Eagle Point is your first response to the IRS, defending your rights as a taxpayer. When my daughter gets a cold, (coughs) I have a secret weapon. Dayquil Kids Berry from Vicks. Dayquil Kids is specially formulated to treat kids' most bothersome cold and cough symptoms quickly. And the best part is that Dayquil Kids Berry tastes really great. Aren't you supposed to be resting? Maybe. Dayquil Kids Berry, the kids' berrylicious daytime congestion, coughing, stuffy head, stuffy nose, just for kids, medicine. Safe for kids six years plus. 106.3 KMED, 99.3 KCMD. And this is the Bill Myers Show. Shade before 7 o'clock, KMED, KMED, HD1, Eagle Point, Medford, KCMD, Grants Pass. Jay Austin and Company. Now, if you look at what's uh, going on here at this point, uh, the, the market's, of course, uh, looking for a little bit of interest joy juice. <laughs> we'll talk of, in other words, reducing interest rates. I don't know. Uh, I'm still thinking that it's a great time while you still can to add to your precious metals. I think it's uh, it's a part of a smart strategy. Jay Austin certainly does too. They make it easy. Jay Austin is a great local non-woke company. They're awake, but they're not woke. In other words, they're awake because they're paying attention to the attack on the dollar and the, you know, attack on your ability to put away wealth, all right? 
And so with that, they have a brand new website, which is fortunereserve.com, fortunereserve.com, where you can go there and just pick and choose and look at all the silver and gold and whatever. It's bullion and coins, and you can just pick that and you pay for it in all sorts of ways, and they'll even deliver it to your front door if you want to. Or you could drop by Jay Austin yourself and uh, talk with them about it. I think they're great people to know. 1632 Ashland Street in Ashland, and by appointment, 6th and G in downtown Grants Pass. So just remember their website, though, and put away some of this wealth while you still can. All right, fortunereserve.com. That's fortunereserve.com, a service of J. Austin and Company, gold and silver buyers. Let me go to Joanne. Joanne in the great state of Texas. Joanne, it's great to have you on. And I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to uh, get you on with Professor Rob Nadelson. What was the question you wanted to ask him if you if you had the opportunity? Yeah. Um, I When the president takes an oath to protect and defend, defend this country against foreign and domestic, doesn't he have a responsibility to do that? Yeah, he does have a responsibility to do it. I, I, don't, I don't think the uh, professor would uh, disagree, you know, with you on that. Certainly does. So shouldn't there be consequences? Yeah. And that's where he and I may disagree on the impeachment uh, power a bit. I think that it is certainly appropriate to impeach the president for not uh, well, for not defending the country. Yeah, I'm I'm glad we have a governor in the state of Texas that's doing that. Yeah. So, do you think that uh, most Texans seem to be pretty much in favor of what uh, of what Governor Abbott did and what the legislature did about this? You know, trying to you know look a little more. Uh, a little more of a muscular approach to defending Texas's border? I believe that's true, yeah. Yeah. What section of Texas do you live in, mine? Uh, Port Aransas. Uh, where is that now? I'm sorry. Port Port Aransas. Port Aransas. What section is that in? I'm sorry, I don't know. Do you know where Corpus Christi is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. In About that neighborhood, then. From there. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for yeah. listening. We appreciate you being on, okay? You take yeah, care. Thank you. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye-bye. 770-5633. Hi, KMED, KCMD. Good morning. Who's this? This is Minor Dave. Hi, Dave. How are you this uh, Conspiracy Theory Thursday? Uh, it's just cold here. We didn't have much snow yesterday. Yeah, it was uh, pretty chilly, about 31 when I got up this morning. A little bit of a little bit of frozen ice on things, but I bet it's colder. where you. It's always colder up in Iron Gate, isn't it? Yeah, we're about 20 degrees. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, yeah. I wanted to talk about the fraud by the supposed doctor. Oh, the Medicare fraud that was uh, settled quietly, apparently, over at Asante. Well, okay. the, the reason why that is, is it's degrees of fraud. There's civil fraud and criminal fraud. Criminal fraud, it takes more proof to prove. Oh. But civil fraud, it just takes that there was an injury. Uh, and it's uh, not preponderance of the evidence versus uh, beyond reasonable doubt. Oh, all right, all right. That's uh, that sounds reasonable. You may have you made a really good point there, Dave. I'm shocked. I'm kidding. Well, you know, you know I, I can look <laughs> things up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and maybe that's why. It just seems to me, though, that if you're performing unnecessary surgeries and you're doing unnecessary billing, and that's what the uh, the other doctor over at Asante, you know, the one that. Uh, of course, I guess nobody likes a whistleblower, right? And so they, well, no, they, they were more no. concerned about the doctor uh, who was actually doing the whistleblowing than they were about the doctor uh, performing the fraud, apparently. Well, you know, it could be that, uh, that, like, take this for an example. It might be a procedure that the state or the feds don't pay for, and this surgery needed to be done, but he built it as a different kind of surgery. And that would be, that could be really where the civil fraud lies, because... It's an injury to the government. Okay, that's really interesting. So we could be looking at a fraud which didn't rise to that level of criminal of criminality. All right, it's a good point. Thanks for making it. I really do appreciate that.